Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Remaining silent and ignoring the lie emboldens the liar. I will not participate in that. I will not sit back and watch in silence while others lead our party down a path that abandons the rule of law and joins the former president's crusade to undermine our democracy. That's Wyoming Congresswoman Liz Cheney speaking Tuesday night on the House floor. Today, House Republicans voted to remove Cheney from her party leadership role for criticizing former President Donald Trump and his false election fraud claims. So where does the party go from here? Well, joining us now with his thoughts on the future of the GOP is Palatine Township Republican Chairman Aaron Del Mar. He's also a former Cook County Republican chairman. Chairman Del Mar, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me today. How are you? Doing well. Glad to be talking with you. First, I want to get your reaction to Representative Cheney being removed from her leadership post. You know, I, I really think that it was a, it was a pretty poor decision. Um, you know, we've had the opportunity of having um, Representative Cheney come to Palatine personally for our Lincoln Day dinner. I thought she spoke very eloquently. Um, she's a very strong conservative. She comes from uh, great stock as far as Republican heritage goes. And I think that, you know, it was very short-sighted. Um, there's a lot of people that really like the Cheney family, and, you know, she's been a strong advocate for lower taxes smaller government, um, key parts of the Republican Party. And, um, you know, this is really clouding our, our party in general. What do you think this signals about Trump's role in the future of your party? Well, I mean, it, you're seeing the same polling that I am, that Trump has about 84 percent support from a lot of the Republican base. And I think that that shows in this decision to remove her from a leadership position um, because there's a, an intense amount of pressure on um, the leadership in the House um, to really support the uh, President Trump. And um, I think that's going to have a, a, a big effect here locally as well on what's going to happen in Illinois um, as far as what's happening. Chairman, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, what's going to happen here locally? Um, we have two congressmen, you know, Darren LaHood and Rodney Davis, who are potential candidates for governor. And it's going to be very interesting to see um, if they comment on how they voted. I know they took a voice, a voice vote today in, in lieu of having a roll call, um, and that, that could reverberate back to uh, our governor's race. You talked about this pressure still to, to support Trump. Why? Why is that still an issue? Well, President Trump is incredibly popular on many circles of the Republican Party. Maybe not very strong here in Illinois, as we're a pretty moderate Republican state, you know, pretty much full Democratic control, but in a lot of other states and a lot of other communities, incredibly popular. And the base is putting pressure on a lot of their um, representatives, a lot of their candidates, that if you want to get elected in these hard, red, Trump-supporting areas, that you need to support the president. And when they don't... um, you know, they face a potential primary. They face um, people where, hey, they're, they're, they're strong Republicans. They're not going to vote for the Democratic candidate, but they just won't vote for the Republican candidate. And, um, you know, that, that and that's a vote for the Dems. Well, Illinois Congressman Adam Kinzinger says that he stands with Liz Cheney for being honest about Trump's election loss. Let's listen. Liz has committed the only sin of being consistent 
And telling the truth, the truth is that the election was not stolen. 74 million voters were not disenfranchised. They were just outnumbered. And it's important for our party to take inventory of that and go out and win the next election instead of continuing the big lie. Now, Kinzinger has also faced, as you know, widespread backlash from the party for speaking out against Trump as well. What do you think, Chairman? Clearly, the potential consequences weren't enough for these two to back down from going against Trump. Well, I think that um, Representative Kinzinger is kind of in a different boat. Um, You know, if you've seen what I've seen as far as polling out here, um, they're going to redistrict a lot of that congressional district for Kinzinger. And he's already has two potential challengers that have announced no matter what they draw the district that he's going to see. Um, The polling that I see says that if there's three candidates or more, that he wins that race. Um, I think Representative Kinzinger is, is pretty much an unknown person until he started really going after President Trump. And that's kind of now his what's made him famous, and that's what gets him on TV, and that's what gets him notoriety. People in other states, only reason they know him is because of that, and now he wants to be the tip of the spear to be anti-Trump. Um, you know, that's pretty much killed any opportunity that he could be for governor, but I still think it secures him in a pretty moderate, newly drawn congressional district where he'll probably still be there, and there won't be a lot of backlash towards him with a crowded field. What types of conversations are you having with Illinois Republicans right now? The conversations that we're having is, one, there's, you know, there was a lot of people that really wanted to censor uh, Congressman Kinzinger. Um, there were a lot of people that were opposed to it, and it's, it's a challenge trying to get both sides of the party underneath the tent. And we need to be the party of inclusion and trying to bring in more minority groups and, and more diversity into our group, if, or we're going to become extinct. And these fights that we have about a former president aren't helping the situation by any means. We need to be identifying what we're going to do in the 22 by taking the House back, who we're going to run as our candidate for governor against J.B. Pritzker, and what we're going to do after the remap in Illinois, um, after the Democrats gerrymander the whole state, so we can still have some partial control over what's happening with our taxes and our government. Chairman, Republicans are expected to replace Liz Cheney with Representative Elise Stefanik of New York. What are your thoughts on that? Is she the right person to unify your party? Well, I mean, she's kind of been a chameleon. I mean, she came into the House, um, you know, as one of the youngest women ever elected in Congress. She came as a pretty moderate uh, Republican. If you look at her voting record, she is very moderate. So um, a lot of the House conservatives are very apprehensive about her being in that leadership position because from uh, a legislative standpoint, she's not um, embraced a lot of conservative values. Um, She really came to uh, notoriety when she took a position supporting Donald Trump um, during his uh, uh, hearing in the House on the impeachment as a strong supporter. And she's gained a lot of steam by uh, being the raw, raw cheerleader for President Trump. And that's why I think that she's even being considered. Um, I don't think on the merits of her congressional record she should be in that position. I think there's a lot more highly qualified people. But in today's day and age, um, even though he's no longer the president, Donald Trump gets to handpick all the leadership. And I think that's really concerning because, you know, we need to be, uh, you know, autonomous now as the United States House and in the Senate, even here on the local level, um, and making the right decisions for our constituents and for our people instead of being, you know, dictated by a former elected officer. We are nearly four months into this Biden administration. Um, During his campaign, though, Joe Biden did talk a lot about restoring bipartisanship in Washington. What do you think about that? Do you see it happening? 
No, I think that was, I think that's lip service. I think that, you know, President Biden ran on being a center lane type Democrat that was going to cross the aisle. And I know he's got a lot of personal relationships from his decades long career in the, in the Senate, but you're not seeing us as far as Republicans in the room deciding public policy. And that really is where it matters. It really matters in the legislation that is getting passed. And, you know, are they, um, modifying some of this new legislation and the proposed proposals that they're putting through to be centric. And I'm not really seeing a lot of it. They're trying to pass a $2 trillion infrastructure plan. They passed multi-trillion dollar stimulus plan that really had nothing to do with coronavirus. Um, you know, if you saw what's happening here in Illinois, they, they received millions and millions of dollars that they're not able to use to pay down on the debt um, from that stimulus package. You know, that was not what it was geared for. And by keeping the Republicans out of the room, I think it goes against what he his platform in running for president, that he was going to be a moderate and that he was going to listen to all sides. Um, I really haven't seen that materialize in, in, in reality yet. So what should Republicans do then to prepare for the 2022 elections? What do you think? I think Republicans should do what we're good at. And I think that we should be messaging that we are about lower taxes. We're about personal freedoms. We're about less government. We're about... Um, conservative values and, you know, structure of family. And those are the talking points that have always won for us. You know, when we start getting off the beaten path and we start talking about, you know, silly tweets and doing dumb things and playing silly games, you only win silly prizes. And we need to go back to the basics in trying to be um, a big tech party. And we need to start talking more um, like when George Bush was there, when we had Ronald Reagan getting back to the grand old party that we have um, shied away from. And, you know, all of this sideshowness that we've had in the last four to six years, um, I don't think has done us very, very well. I don't think we're better now than we were four years ago. That's Palatine Township Republican Chairman Aaron Del Mar. Aaron, thanks so much. Let's turn now to Springfield, where lawmakers are back in session. On Tuesday, the Senate's Education Committee voted 9-4 to four to advance a bill that would ban hair discrimination in Illinois schools. Joining us to discuss is Democratic State Senator Mike Simmons. He represents Illinois' 7th District, which covers parts of Chicago's north side. Senator Simmons, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me. Tell us about your bill and, and how it would ban hair discrimination in schools. So the bill would prohibit schools from including any uh, discriminatory language on hairstyles, specifically braids, dreadlocks, and protective hairstyles in school handbooks. It comes out of uh, my response to a number of stories I've read recently. Uh, there was one that really got to me. A four-year-old on the west side of Chicago was really excited about his braids, was really excited to go to school, and was sent home and told to take out his, his braids. And, you know, I just think in 2021, um, we can't continue to continue to traumatize our young people in this kind of way. I know what that feels like from my personal past. And, um, you know, we got to be on the right side of history on this one. And we have to create uh, environments where our young people can learn and have freedom of expression. Yeah, when you take a closer look at these dress code policies, as you mentioned, they're banning hairstyles like braids, twists, afros, dreadlocks. I think it's clear who's being targeted here. Wouldn't you say? It, it is. It is. Yeah. I mean, this is just, um, you know, I mean, ultimately, you know, our, our young black people, um, you know, shouldn't have to go through this. Like I'm a black person, first black state senator to serve for my district. And I wear my hair in natural free form locks and I wear it proudly. 
And, you know, we can't have people's identity be up for a debate and approval and compromise anymore. It's just we all are traumatized coming out of four years of Donald Trump. Um, the level of, of hatred and xenophobia that we've seen in our communities, right? We got to be on the right side of history. And, um, you know, black youth should be able to wear their hair in the ways that uh, they see fit, right? Uh, natural hair is God-given. Um, Afros, dre dreads, braids, protective hairstyles, right? I want, I want my people to be able to wear their hair the way they want to wear it and the way their families, um, you know, the way their families want it to be worn. As you mentioned, this issue is, is personal for you because you, you know what it's like to be judged by your hair and the way you look. Tell us more about what it was like for you growing up and whether it was in school or maybe even on the job. Yeah, you know, it, it, it really was uh, something that I experienced when I was younger, um, just kind of casual comments from authority figures uh, where, you know, they would belittle uh, your hair um, or humiliate you in front of your classmates, um, in front of other young people. Um, those are, those are, um, scars that I don't, I don't want our young people. I don't want the next generation to have to go through that. Right. I went through it and, you know, I'm, I'm fine and resilient and, you know, I turned out great, but I don't uh, want the next generation to have to, to deal with that. I mean, it's, it's hard enough just to be a young person when you layer on the pandemic and the mental health toll that we're seeing on our young people, particularly our teenagers, we don't, we don't have a lot of room for error here and, you know, letting, our young people uh, just have the freedom of expression and to have agency over their bodies is such an important part of, um, I think, what it means to be well and whole and healthy. Um, and, you know, we want our young people to have that because then they grow up to be great, creative um, adults and, and productive members of society. And I'm all about that. How would your bill enforce the ban exactly? So the uh, Illinois State Board of Education is the oversight authority on the legislation. And if the bill passes, they would... Uh, you know, do a, an annual compliance probe of all schools where, uh, you know, every 12 months the handbooks are up, are updated. And so the, the Illinois State Board of Education will, will check to make sure that there's no discriminatory language on braids, dreadlocks, and, and protective hairstyles, afros, uh, in any of those handbooks. That That's how we ensure enforcement. And uh, some of your opponents uh, that say that the bill's punishment of taking funding away from schools uh, that that goes too far. What What's your response to that? Well, we, we actually, uh, you know, revised the bill late last week. So uh, we're not going to take away uh, funding as an, an immediate uh, enforcement strategy. What we've worked out is, a, I think, a, a process that will give the schools an opportunity to come into compliance. And then if they don't come into compliance, if they don't uh, get through those probes, those compliance probes, you know, then there'll, there'll be consequences. And so I think having that kind of that kind of tiered approach is the right one. Um, let me underscore that by saying I think our schools want to be on the right side of history on this. I think it's going to be a, a no brainer for the lion's share of our schools. Um, but, you know, if schools don't come into compliance, then, you know, they will, you know, they, the compliance probes will will trigger a whole set of things that will happen after that. But I don't think we'll we'll get that far. And does this include private schools? Yes. This, this, yeah, this legislation would include all public and non-public schools. Now, uh, Senator, as we mentioned earlier, the Senate's Education Committee voted to advance your bill. So talk more about the feedback that you've been getting from your colleagues. Yeah, I mean, the feedback has been has been overwhelmingly positive. I think that, you know, my colleagues want to be on the right side of history on this. The feedback I've heard is that this is a great bill. I'm happy to support it. And so, you know, the next step will be the bill will come to the Senate floor for debate. You expect that that'll be, be a healthy debate. 
and um, you know, then we'll have a vote. And so, you know, that that's a, that's the next steps. I'm really uh, looking forward to that. Um, and I think that you know, a lot of our colleagues want again, they want to be on the right side of this. They get they get this. Um, and so, I'm, you know, I'm happy to have their support. Would you say that we're having a bit of a movement right now when it comes to to hair and and uh, natural hair? I'm thinking of the success of you know the Crown Act. Yeah, yeah. So the Crown Act was introduced by one of my colleagues, and that would do exactly what my bill does, but in workplaces. So we've got kind of a you know one-two punch here. We're we're yeah. removing this kind of discrimination in workplaces and in schools per my bill. So I, I think there is a movement. I mean, the thing about the Crown Act with the the workforce workforce workplace bill is that there's a national movement on that legislation. I mean, there are, I think, about a dozen other states that. Um, uh, actually, I'm sorry, it's, it's seven that have introduced and passed legislation similar to that. Um, we've seen this bill come up in Congress. Uh, I believe Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey has introduced this bill at the federal level. Um, and I, I believe that that bill has a lot of support. Um, it hasn't come to the floor yet. So we're, you know, we're doing this on a local level because we think that the movement is, is broad. And I got to tell you that the feedback I've gotten from the district I represent, the north side of Chicago, Uptown, Edgewater, Rogers Park, Lincoln Square, West Ridge, Evanston, North Center, and communities across the state has been overwhelmingly positive. People are. Yeah. What are your constituents saying? Uh, they, they are saying, you know, I, I've heard word for word. We're honored that you are our voice in Springfield. Um, it is it is such a breath of fresh air to see somebody leading on this kind of issue. And, and I've introduced a, about a half a dozen other bills that are all across the board. And so I think people feel like the representation has been has been vigorous and thorough. Um, and that and that, you know, that makes me really happy. I mean, I just I like that people feel like their voices are being heard down here. That's why I stepped up to do this. Well, it's now the final month of the Illinois legislative session. So what are some of your top priorities then? So I um, have introduced a bill that would create a child tax credit uh, for our working parents, struggling parents. And, you know, and, and the district I represent uh, upwards of about a third of our households are headed by single parents. And so, you know, I want to bring them relief. Right. They've been dealing with systemic issues since before the pandemic. The pandemic has aggravated their struggles. And so this bill, if it passes, would put some money back into the pockets of working parents, single parents all across the state. Um, it also would benefit local economies. We know the people at the lower end of the economic ladder uh, can't afford to save. And so they're going to put that money into local businesses, local shops, uh, and foregone medical visits and, and, and those sorts of things, buying, buying clothes for their kids as they go back to schools. So I'm, I'm fighting really hard to get that tax credit enacted as part of the budget. Um, and then, you know, I've got a couple of other bills that, that I've already passed, a bill that creates, uh, requires state agencies to collect data on LGBTQ populations, which helps us determine the impact of COVID. Uh, queer communities is a big deal for me as the first LGBTQ state senator. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm, you know, being really proactive about pushing all of those bills to the finish line and helping my colleagues on a bunch of other progressive initiatives. That's Democratic State Senator Mike Simmons of the 7th District. Senator Simmons, thank you so much. And that's today's Reset. For more conversations about the topics that matter to you most, make sure you're subscribed. And please take one minute to leave us a quick rating and review. Podcast apps like Apple continue to tweak their algorithms, and it really helps other people find us. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening. We'll meet again tomorrow.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.